welcome to another episode of Health Affairs This Week. Uh, I'm Jeff Byers. This is the podcast from Health Affairs where you'll find a rotating cast of characters from the editorial team talking about some of the most interesting pieces of news they saw recently. And sometimes we have uh, some special guests, as is the case this week. Uh, with me today, I have the founder of Digital Health News and Market Research publication, Exits and Outcomes, Brian Dolan. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here. Yeah. And so one of the things that caught my eyes recently was the Wall Street Journal's report on uh, the, the headline is Apple struggles in push to make healthcare its greatest legacy. And that's from Rolf Winkler. And you know, you are one of the original digital health reporters. You're the founder of Moby Health News. And I thought, what better person to help make sense of this than Mr. Brian Dolan? So <laughs> Apple's been doing a, a lot of uh, healthcare plays. We've been hearing a lot about tech giants trying to push into healthcare. Historically, what has Apple been trying to uh, accomplish with its healthcare plays? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there's quite a bit of history there. I think I could probably pick out a few highlights, but you know, I, I would argue that Apple's interest in in health and healthcare probably started back in 2010. It's almost 11 years ago now, and you know that was when the iPad came out, and that device ended up being wildly popular with physicians, and that must have caught the attention of Apple. I know they made more of a concerted effort to start selling those into uh, healthcare systems, and you know the popularity of that device among physicians, I think, also inspired you know, a lot of the early digital health companies at the time to start creating software for the iPad for physicians and other providers to use. So that's kind of where it started. It was around that same time that the FDA was trying to figure out how to regulate mobile medical apps. And so part of that, we know now, uh, there were a lot of these behind the scenes, you know, quiet conversations that Apple was having with the FDA and, and phone calls and many, many emails were exchanged between 2013 and the next five years. And those, those early years, it was really all about how can the FDA regulate this software that's acting as a medical device? And also, I think, you know, what role does Apple play as something of a gatekeeper pre-FDA? You know, how do they regulate and affect the App Store to make sure the software that they're distributing from third parties is, is following a certain set of rules? And some of those rules are going to be specific to the world of healthcare. And so that's kind of where it started. And I think in those relationships with the FDA, it started pushing them to think more about software for healthcare and software for health. And there's a, a series of launches sort of in the midst of those conversations with the regulator. Starting in 2014, they launched their health app. So they have a native health app as well as HealthKit. And HealthKit, if you're not familiar, it's a developer framework, um, really a set of tools. It lets third-party app developers share health-related data between iOS apps. And then sort of the companion to that was, a, was an actual app that Apple simply calls health. And that's a native app on Apple devices that displays some of that health and fitness data that's collected by the devices and some of those other third-party apps. And there's two other of these kits that I think people, if they're following Apple closely, probably know. The following year in 2015, they launched Research Kit, which uh, you know I would argue is probably one of their more successful health launches. And this is an open source software framework. And this one's squarely focused on medical research. So it's really powered, you know, kind of the rise of the decentralized clinical trial. I think it's been a big part of that trend. And I'd say one of the, the big accomplishments of ResearchKit has really been furthering e-consent. So the ability to have a participant in a clinical trial opt in and consent to the trial remotely right from their Apple device in this case. And then finally, you know, the, I think the one that's probably most relevant to what we're talking about today is 
In 2016, Apple launched another software development kit called CareKit. And again, this was a developer framework. It was really to help third-party app developers create apps that are you know, not so much health-focused, but really medically-focused. And so these would include um, care plans. They would include you know, more symptom trackers, less sort of health and fitness tracking. Um, and the idea really was squarely focused on the patient-physician relationship. And so I'd say you know, the last sort of publicly known health initiative that Apple has going on really launched in 2018, and that was when Apple secured I would say much to the surprise of, of most industry watchers, uh, two FDA de novo clearances for software that was running on its Apple Watch. And one was for electrocardiogram, and the other was for an irregular heartbeat detection feature. Yeah, so I know that they had a lot of movement on the Apple Watch and also that they had the, um, the health records, as, as you mentioned. Um, but this Wall Street Journal article says something a little different. What is it actually saying? So the Wall Street Journal article that came out is really interesting for a number of reasons. I think one that struck me first was actually we've we've read most of this report before. Uh, back in 2017, uh, while she was still at CNBC, Christina Farr basically had a lot of this report in one of her own back in October of that year. And that was really at the same time that Apple was um, setting up some of these initiatives. So in some ways, you know, the meat of this week's Wall Street Journal report was sort of known, but um, they added a couple of interesting details that we didn't know back in 2017. So to back it up, what the Wall Street Journal report focused on was that Apple has not only created um, health and medical and medical research related software kits for developers, they haven't only focused on FDA cleared medical apps for their Apple Watch. The company for a number of years was working on setting up their own in-person and virtual care, primary care practice. I think what's new is that the report definitively says that Apple is no longer pursuing its plans, its very ambitious plans, to create a primary care practice. So at Exits and Outcomes, you create digital health newsletters and also create these market reports. So I know you did a big one on uh, Google. Uh, you also did one on Crossover Health. And in that report, you talked a little bit about their relationship with Apple, and I think that really relates to some of this uh, Wall Street Journal article. Can you give us any insights from your reporting on uh, crossover health and how it relates to the Apple news? Yeah, I think there's a little little bit of background there, too, that's relevant, and that is, you know, Apple worked with crossover health to develop its own on-site employee health clinic, so on the Apple campuses. Crossover was actually the company that Apple picked to literally build those on the campus and then set them up and staff them with physicians that were employed by Crossover. There's a couple of interesting points about that. Crossover was more or less a non-existent, like just barely launched startup. They had no customers and they won this RFP from Apple. I mean, it's kind of the, the key the key story in the Crossover founding story was that they landed Apple as their first customer, uh, which, which is really amazing. And the crossover story is, is a fascinating one. They went on to land Facebook months later and to work with many, many big tech companies around the country, setting these on-site employee clinics up and then later setting near-site clinics up. Over the years, you know, they layered in telehealth services, virtual care services, a lot of that starting really more with a, a text-based chat than a video conference element. So one of the things we learned back in 2017, when we first heard that Apple was considering setting up its own primary care practice, was that they had actually spent a few months considering an acquisition of their partner, Crossover Health. So they were going to take this company over and assumedly, again, create 
you know, continue the business of crossover and roll out primary care clinics and virtual care clinics across the country, um, likely in partnership with other big employers. And around the same time, this is again, according to CNBC's reporting back in 2017, they had similar talks with One Medical, which of course is now a public company. So it's it's kind of fascinating that Apple spent you know this period, again, back in 2016, 2017, really weighing whether or not they wanted to transition into health services and into primary care. And what the Wall Street Journal, again, is really laying to rest is that those plans are no longer in the works and Apple is instead going to focus on the Apple Watch, really kind of positioning it more as a medical device company that creates FDA regulated software for their device. Here at Health Affairs, we have a lot of people interested in health policy. Uh, for anyone that knows me, they know I'm all business. So this is a little bit more of a business topic and story. But you bring up uh, something really interesting about the state of digital health, where you said crossover is on the verge of IPO. For anyone that's listening, what is the actual state of digital health and, and where it is from its maturity? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I've been writing about this since. 2008, 2009. And over the course of that time period, there's been many starts and stops and starts again. And I would say right now, I mean, there's there's just been this wave of exits in the space, many companies IPOing or being acquired by SPACs and becoming publicly listed. And, you know, that's exciting, I think, for those that are investors and for the entrepreneurs themselves. But I think from my standpoint, it's also super interesting to now start to see how these companies are actually doing. They're publicly listed, they're sharing a lot more information. You know, how much traction do they have? How many patients are they actually serving? So I think in 2021, digital health is mature on, on most fronts. I think from a regulatory perspective, many of the policies around uh, the regulation of software as a medical device are fairly well understood. There's at least an idea of where it's going in the next few years. From a business perspective, we're seeing more exits, more companies going public um, large companies acquiring slightly smaller, but still large companies. We're seeing mergers. And, you know, I think sort of the the final piece that, you know, I, I'd hesitate to say has has matured enough or in, in a way that is sort of obvious as to where it goes from here is, is on the reimbursement side, on the payment side. I think there's still a lot of work to be done to really understand how these are paid for, especially by by CMS. They're really, I think, just right now kind of figuring that out. You know, we're seeing a wave of new CPT codes potentially next year. Um, there's a lot of talk on sort of the digital therapeutic sides of things of how these will fit in. You know, do they require their own benefit category, for example? And so I think that piece of it still has a ways to go. But on most other fronts, uh, it's incredibly mature and, you know, companies have really grown up. I mean, it's not it's not 2012 anymore. Great. And so to, to kind of bring this home, you recently just published the uh, large report on crossover health. What are you working on? Yeah, I'm working on a few things. You know, I think relevant to this discussion today, I'm, I'm doing a pretty deep dive into Apple and the FDA and sort of how it's to de novo clearances came about. So stay tuned for that. It should be a, an interesting project that I, I've been working on for a number of years. I mean, part of that is uh, a number of years ago, I got my hands on via FOIA uh, a couple of hundred pages of emails that Apple exchanged with the FDA when they were just before they were going through the FDA process. So um, I think there's still a lot of that story that hasn't been told. So I'm excited to, to tell it someday soon. Brian Dolan from Exits and Outcomes. Thanks for joining us today on Health Affairs This Week podcast. Uh, if you, dear listener, if you enjoyed the episode, please share with a friend. See you next time. Thanks, Jeff.